Thank you for being here. I'm, I know lots of you have called, and we thank you for your prayers and all that for my father-in-law and uh, Ralph. And he's um, he fell. If you don't know, he fell and broke his not his hip, but his his femur neck that goes into your hip, which is kind of the same, and had to have surgery. And um, the worst part about all it, pray especially for Mary and Robin and the girls, and because they can't help him, they can't do anything. They can't even be at the hospital. And, that's the most trying thing, I guess, for them. And so pray for them. And he's recovering, and the doctor said everything went well and said he's rested well last night. So y'all just keep him in your prayers if you would. I appreciate you being here, and I appreciate this. It's an honor to get to stand here before you, and this is an opportunity to uh, share our hearts. And I just thank, thank God for that opportunity. And uh, I want to I wanna ask you a question today as we get started. How many of you have ever heard, heard the old saying, don't have a leg to stand on. Never heard that one? You know, if you if you were about to go to a court of law and your attorney looked at you and said, you don't have a leg to stand on, you probably wouldn't want to go in that courtroom. I know I wouldn't. Um, the older I get, the more the more I, I realize how important that is. I got one, my left knee hurts about all the time. I'm not up here to try to get sympathy from you. I'm just saying it just, just because I'm old, it just gets up and it hurts. And, and one day, my... I think I compensate for it a lot with my right leg. And so one one day my right leg just kind of went out from under me. And, man, it scared me to death. I thought, I'm about to, I only got one good one. <laughs> I lose it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be crippled. You know, and so the importance of having a leg to stand on is just a big deal. And, uh, you know, years ago I used to have horses. And I went to with a man to the horse sale one time. And every time they'd run a horse through there, the auctioneer and people would say, this horse is completely sound. And uh, after about four or five times of hearing the word sound come out of their mouth, I thought, and I was a young guy, I didn't know what, what they were talking about, sound. And so I said, what, does, what, does, what do they mean by sound? And uh, he said, oh, that means he's got four good legs. And I thought, oh, okay. Because really what, what good is a horse if it, if it loses a leg? I mean, you know, there's, they had the group down there that we called the killers. You know, they came there and bought horses that nobody wanted or horses that were lame or whatever because whatever they do with horses, you know, they, they kill and take them into a slaughterhouse. And so if a horse was not sound, that's usually who bid on it, the killers, you know. And uh, I know that's a terrible way to <laughs> describe a group of people, but uh, that's what they were called, that, got, that group that sat together, and they went to lowest bidder usually then. So, But something is if something's not sound, it's... The, the, the very chair you're sitting in right now has to be sound. Think about one leg of that chair being missing. You probably wouldn't sit in it. You'd go get another one, wouldn't you? It's got to be sound, and it's got to be something that's sturdy, something that's... And so when I started studying this, I thought, that's what this is talking about. Our other... Uh, this whole whole thing is Paul is speaking to Titus. If you've you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Titus chapter 2. Um, and we'll be looking at that scripture in just a second, but... Paul is speaking to Titus to show him or to help him uh, make the churches of Crete great. Now, let me give you a little bit of background information on Crete. Crete was an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea between, and I'm going to do it backwards, between Jerusalem here and Rome here. Okay, Rome was kind of northwest of Jerusalem. Okay, and so Crete was this island in the middle, and it had many ship ports and places. There was actually, according to the commentary I read, probably about 20 different cities on Crete. 
Many of the exiles from Rome had been sent to Crete, so it's probably some rough people there too. Uh, but many people came, many ships came and harbored in those places or stopped off for supplies or whatever in Crete if you were sailing across the Mediterranean Sea. Paul actually had just left Crete, headed to Rome when he, am I doing that? Is that me? Am I hitting it? Uh, he had just left Crete when he was headed to Rome when he had the shipwreck, you know, if you read about it in Acts. And uh, so Crete was a not just a little bitty place or a little bitty island. It probably wasn't just one church. It was probably several churches. I'm still doing it. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Do you know what I'm doing? Oh, it's bent. How's it all right? Boy, it's loud now, isn't it? Is my ear doing it? <laughs> oh, may I turn me down now? But anyway, what was I saying? With Crete was a very pretty bustling place, and it had uh, may have had they say as much as twenty little cities. If you look over and if you got your Bible and you, you turn to chapter two, you can skip over to chapter one, and it says in verse five, "For this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things uh, that are lacking." and appoint elders in every city, as I've commanded, in every city. So Crete had a lot more than just one church, and I think Titus was in charge to be over all that. So when we look at this, this the first chapter there, both John and uh, Andrew's done a great job of explaining the, the, qualities, the qualities of elders and the task of the elders, but this second chapter is for everybody else. This... This one is for everybody else. I think I got the easy one here. It's kind of hard to, to get you know, the whole thing out of what they did, but I think I got the easy one because he's talking to everybody else. That's the rest of us. That's the rest of the church. What do we need to do there? So uh, if you will, if you can, stand with me and we'll read chapter. We're going to read the entire chapter of two, but I'll read it pretty fast so that we can uh, move on pretty good. Uh, Titus chapter two, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. To be discreet, chaste homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, and the, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Therefore, uh, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing good showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, um, in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every, every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. You may be seated. Now, Paul is speaking to Titus to 
for everyone else, not just the elders, but for everyone else. And so he starts off with the old men. So we're going to call them the seniors. So we're going to basically look at four groups here. I think about four legs of this podium. Each group here is going to be a leg, okay? He's talking to the seniors, the sisters. He groups the old and young in that one. Then the sons, that would be the young men. And then even the servants. So we're going to talk about everyone else. That basically encompasses everybody. Everyone else in this whole thing. So let's look at what he says in verse 2 about the seniors. First off, and if you're filling in the blanks on the outline there, of sound mind and of a sound spirit. Seniors ought to be of sound mind and sound spirit. Notice what he says in verse 2. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patience. Now notice that first part. Sober, reverent, and temperate. Those three words go together. They're just adjectives stacked in a series with commas between. That means, if my English teacher coming out in me, they're all equal value. Sober, reverent, temperate. So they go together. I think about what it means. I looked up the word sober because, you know, uh, not every translation says it. Some translations already break it down and say of sound mind. And that's what we're talking about here. Seniors should be of sound mind and of a sound spirit. Now, reverent and temperate, what does that mean? If you revere something, that means you, you place a lot of emphasis on it. Well, if you're reverent toward other people, you will be considerate to what they think and to their opinions and things, okay? And so to be reverent means that you don't jump to conclusions. You're respectful of both sides. Now, think about jumping to conclusions. I heard a statement one time. A guy said that some people, the only exercise they get is running their mouth and jumping to conclusions. <laughs> That's about to ride, isn't it? Uh, only exercise they get. Now, if you're respectful of both sides, that means you pay attention to the other side's argument. You know, as an English teacher, we taught four modes of writing. Some of you kids know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you probably hated it in school. I understand that. But we had narrative writing, which is storytelling. You had uh, descriptive writing, which is the hardest one to describe something. Uh, then you had uh, expository, which is basically just means how to explain something. And the fourth one was persuasive writing. Okay, Now, as an old teacher, you know, toward the last few years of my career, they changed persuasive writing to argumentative writing. I thought, and I'm, you know, I always buck and change, you know, and so I'm like, wow. Why did it? But it was really a good thing. Because, see, teenagers know how to have an opinion about something, but they many times don't know how to argue about something. They know how to rant, but they don't know how to argue. See, to be a good arguer, you have to be able to see the other side. It takes maturity to see the other side. And I think sometimes we just learn how to rant when we're younger, you know, and not, uh, and not actually see the other side of the argument. And so that's what he's saying here. He said they have to be temperate and reverent so that you can actually see the other side of the argument. Uh, so he says... No jumping to conclusions, respectful of both sides. And the third thing, not quick to act. No knee-jerk reactions. James 1.19 says this, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Think about how many times, that's what temperate is, not having a temper. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like temper, doesn't it? So think of it this way. Temperate means not to have a temper. Don't jump to a conclusion. 
don't make a judgment too quick because we all let our emotions get involved in that. And so we should be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And it takes us a long time. It's taken me a long time to learn that, and I still haven't learned it like I should. My temper flares too much sometimes. My wife's over there nodding her head right now probably. Uh, but we, we have to learn how to do that. And I think the older we get and the more experience we have, the more we see that I don't react too quick, I'll be all right. I know one time I was doing something. I was calling pitches in the ball game, and our head coaches want me to get the pitches in quicker, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And finally I just looked back at him one day and I said, you know, every mistake I've ever made in my life, I was in a hurry. He just turned his head and walked away, you know, because he knew I was right. But he was wanting the game to move faster. He thinks pitchers do well when they're moving faster. And so I just said, look, am I still doing this thing, this thing? Doing it. Me touching it. My mouth moving too fast or something. I don't know. Anyway, anything that I'd ever done, I did it too quick. And so the Bible tells us to be swift to hear. Uh, slow to speak and slow to wrath. We can keep from getting mad lots of times if we be slow in thinking about the things that we do. Uh, so he tells them to do to be reverent, temperate, and sober. He also tells them to be sound in faith, love, and patience. Sound in faith, love, and patience. Who do you? Whom do you know? Whose faith has been proven? Whom do you know who, whose love is always constant? Who do you really want praying for you in a crisis? See, that's, that's I think about these older saints that we've had that's come and gone here. They had patience he's talking about. Sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. I think older saints like some of you probably don't remember Mrs. Johns, who we used to call her Miss Faith here, and Mr. McFall, we used to call Mr. Love. But you might remember Mr. Lester, who just recently died. You might remember Miss Collier. I think about those people. Have you ever sat down and just talked to Miss Collier? Her faith followed her. I mean, and if, if I wanted somebody to reach the throne, I think I would ask her to pray for me. I would ask Mr. Lester to pray for me. You know, those people, are just, they've, they've proven it. Sound in faith, sound in love. And so when I think about old man, you older guys in here, what do, you, what do you want people to remember you by? How do you want to be remembered? What do you want to be on, what do you want to be on your tombstone? What do you want people to remember you by? And so that's what he's saying to the older men. That's what he's saying to the seniors. Uh, I want you to be sober, reverent, temperate, but also want you to be sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in patience. You got me another one? You're a miracle man, John. Don't touch it, right? Okay. Don't touch it. Okay. Now, where were we? All right. So, seniors. He's talking to the seniors. Second person, second group he's talking to in this are the sisters. And that'll be verses three through five. So, let's back up and look at that right quick again. He says, To the older women, likewise. Anytime you see the word likewise, he's saying the same thing he was saying to the in verse two to the men. Likewise, that they be reverent in behavior. 
Now, on your outline there, what does that mean? Reverent in behavior. Reverent means that you pay attention to what somebody else thinks, right? That's how you settle arguments. So I put down on there, on your fill in the blanks, it's argument stoppers, not argument starters. He says that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not giving to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, let's see what is he saying here. Reverent, respect both sides, settle arguments, not slanderers, not gossips. Notice this, verse 4, to be discreet, chaste homemakers. Those three things go together, discreet and chaste homemakers. Good, teachers of good. Homemaker, good, obedient to their own husbands. I thought about the word good there. It just stuck out in my mind when I read that the first few times. Good. Teachers of good things. Now think about that for a minute. I've said this for a long time. A teacher is going to teach no matter what. A leader is going to lead no matter what. So you better make sure that the teacher or the leader is a good one. Because the followers are going to follow that person. When I, when I used to coach... I used to try to I used to try to take this kid we thought would be the, the model leader for your team and try to get it to where he'd be the leader and everybody'd follow him. But I, it took me a long time, but I finally figured out I don't get to pick them. The team picks who they're gonna follow. I don't know if leaders are naturally born or what, or they naturally develop themselves, but the team picks who they're gonna follow. So what then I started trying to do is develop the leader, not discover. I mean, discover the leader, not develop him. Maybe I'm saying that wrong. I wanted to discover the leader before I tried to develop him. Maybe I was trying to make one first and then you know develop him. But you can't you can't make you can't decide who they're going to follow. You have to watch who they want to follow, and then you have to try to make that person the best he can be, or she can be. I think about cows. Some of you guys might be farmers. If you move cows from one pasture to another, well, a good farmer knows if he can take that lead cow and get him her to go across the road to this other place, the rest of them will follow right along. But if you can't get that lead cow to go, the rest of them are going to give you trouble. And that's kind of the way any team or something is. See, a teacher of good things. What kind of teacher are you? Moms, what kind of teacher are you? Do you teach good things because somebody's listening? Somebody's paying attention. If you don't believe that, wait till your kids start saying things they shouldn't. <laughs> you'll know they're paying attention, right? Wait till they do the things they shouldn't do, and you'll know exactly that they're paying attention. So teachers of good things. Uh, he also says, admonish or warn or reprimand firmly these younger ladies to love their families. Why such a strong warning here? I think it's because the breakup of the family is of utmost importance in our, in our world today. Think about that, the breakup of the family. According to the United States Census Bureau, more than one in four, more than one in four, more than 25% of all children live without a, grow up without a father in the home. That accounts for 63% or more of youth suicides, 71% of all school dropouts, 70% of juvenile detention children, and almost 90% runaways and homelessness of kids. One in four don't have a dad. 
don't have a father in the home. See, keeping that family together is so important, so important. It's not just a mom's responsibility, but he kind of targeted the moms to do that here. Second thing, I think abortion is a, is a big deal that separates families today, destroys families. I think it's our blight. It, it's it's our blight on our society. See, I've I've been alive since Roe versus Wade, and we have we have executed in this country millions, more than all the world all the wars we've ever been in put together. We've done it ourselves. It's the blight on our society. I think it's what God's going to hold us most accountable for. Thirteen different times in the Old Testament, God tells the children of Israel. To stay away from these, these nations who worshipped Molech, the god Molech, and allowed their children to pass through the fire. That means sacrifice, sacrificing their own children to show their reverence to Molech. See, I think abortion is the Molech of our family. It's the, it's the Molech of our society. We, we, you say, well, Tony, I've never had a child aborted, or I don't, I'm not for abortion. But what have we done? To stop it. I'm not saying we need to go blow up an abortion clinic. But what have you and I ever done to stop it? What have we ever done? Think about that for yourself. I say that to myself too. What have I ever done to remedy this? To stop this? It's a terrible thing. and we, we, God's going to hold us accountable for that. Uh, why? It's the, it's the breakup of the family that's so important. I think that's why God spent, uh, Paul spent time saying, tell instruct these older ladies to teach younger women to hold that family together at all possible um, notice um, the last part verse 5 to be discreet chaste homemakers good obedient to their own husbands that the word of God may not be blasphemed discreet chaste homemakers is what he says pure homemakers discreet I think about the title of mother. Mother is a title that should be revered, not reviled. It should be revered, not reviled. And I, I wish she was here. I'd say it to her face. Holly Blanton, you're my hero. I've been coming to this three services thing for a while. You know, and that's my service to come to on the morning one, and I come to the early one. And I'm, I'd be sitting over here, and Holly Blanton would walk in, with one on her hip, one in her hand, and one little one running in front. She didn't have it tagging along. She had it in the front where she could see him, you know, because John's running around doing whatever up here, and he's not helping her, you know, which is normal. Uh, but he's got, she's got one on a hip, one on a hand, and one in front. And I thought, and she works too. <laughs> she works. If anybody deserves it, and come into the 8 o'clock service. Now, I'm not fussing at you because you didn't come to the 8 o'clock, but a lot of people make an excuse. I can't get up that early. You know why she probably got up that early and came to the 8 o'clock service? Because she probably stayed up with the little one half the night anyway. She's probably up at 4 in the morning with the little one. See, I'm telling you, mother is a title that should be revered, not reviled. Okay? She's my hero. Obedient to your husband, submissive. When it says discreet, chaste, and obedient to husbands, I think that means pure to your own husband satisfy your man so to speak only your man okay that's important it's important that we 
that we keep a family unit together. And moms, you have a grave responsibility for that. So not only is he talking about the seniors, he speaks to the sisters, he also speaks to the sons. Now on your outline there, it's a little bit different. Because Paul changes gears here a little bit. When he's speaking to Titus, he's talking to Titus like he is a young man too. So he puts him in that category with the people he's speaking to. So basically he says to him, to exhort, one must be an example. To exhort, one must be an example. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 6, likewise exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Now he's already said sober several times, or sound of sound mind. In all things showing yourself. He didn't say themselves, he said yourself. So he's talking to Titus for him to be the example to these men. In all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. You, as a TSV, the Tony Snyder version would say, Titus, you be the example to these young men. I thank God for Cody. I'll be honest with you. When we first started this elder thing, I thought, it's going to be hard to call Cody an elder. He was like 30 years old when we started this. You know, and I thought, an elder, 30. But see, I think if, you've, if you do what he's talking about here, and Cody usually does, I guess he does, I hadn't caught him in not doing it, <laughs> you know, that you're well beyond your years. And that's what he tells Titus. You be the example for these young guys. Sound speech, verse 8, that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Boy, how good can it be, young men, if nobody can find something bad to say about you? Even your opponents, they have to tip their hat to them. Well, he's what he said he is. That to me is the highest compliment you can get. When someone says, well, he's exactly what he says he is. He's not a fraud. He's not a hypocrite, you know. So he's speaking to him to be an example. I mean, to, be, to exhort, one must be an example. Now, not only is he talking to seniors, and sisters, and sons, he even talks to servants. He said, well, Tony, what are you talking about servants? Servants is anybody that works, okay? A bond servant. A bond servant is somebody who, we don't have slavery, thank God, in this country or many countries now. We need to be proud of the fact that we abolished slavery in this country, okay? Now, but people, they did have slavery back in biblical days, and Jacob himself sold himself into slavery. He's usually someone who was in trouble or couldn't make their, make their family, uh, they couldn't provide for their family. They would sell themselves or maybe their whole family sometimes in slavery. Jacob had to run away from Esau and his father because of the things he did. And he had to go to his uncle Laban and sell himself as a bondservant to his uncle. And so Jews had laws. You only have seven years, and then you had to free a slave. So he went and sold himself into indentured servanthood to his uncle Laban for seven whole years. And he was promised to get Rachel. Y'all know the story. But he didn't get Rachel at the end. He got Leah. And then he had to sell himself seven more years to get Rachel. So anyway, he, he, he served two terms of, of servanthood. Now, when he's talking about us today, what are we talking about with servanthood here? 
you went and signed on when you took the job you got, yes, I will work for X amount of money. Now, notice what he says here. Look at verses 8, uh, 9, and 10. Exhort bond servants. Remember that word exhort there means to urge. Okay? Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God and our Savior in all things. Now, what kind of employee are you? What kind of an employee are you? See, the Bible tells us that servants are the greatest in the kingdom of men and the greatest in the kingdom of God. If you don't believe me, you can look at Matthew chapter 23. I think I got that on your outline. I'm not sure. Is it on there? Matthew chapter 23, verse 11. says this. He who is, this is Jesus speaking. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Remember when they, when he girded himself with a towel and, and washed their feet? He told them, I'm setting this, for, I'm giving this to you as an example because the greatest among you will wash your feet. Also, the greatest among you, but he also says the greatest in the kingdom of God. In, in the chapter 20, verses 25 and 26, he says, but you know that rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and those who, who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever deserve, desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. See, Jesus says servanthood, you are the greatest in the kingdom of men and in the kingdom of God. Now, so I ask you this question. When he says servants, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. Do you give your boss trouble at work? He says, not pilfering. Well, I used to call it pilfering. I didn't know what pilfering was when I was little, but we'd go dig around in some drawer or something at home we shouldn't be in. She said, quit pilfering. I didn't know what pilfering was, but I looked it up. It means taking things that don't belong to you, okay? He says, don't be that kind of servant. Are you that guy that borrows things from work? So what does he say? Do you give your boss trouble? Do you borrow things from work? Notice this last part. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity or honesty that they may adorn the doctrine of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. What does adorn mean? Adorn means to put on. Right? See, you're putting on the cloak of Christ when you go to work. If you borrow things from work and some of your other, whether they see you or not, God knows, but think about the people that you're trying to be an influence and you borrow things from work. Or you, you're the one that's always griping and fussing at the boss for making you do something you don't want to do. See, Adrian Rogers said that we Christians ought to be the best workers at work. We ought to, we ought to put on the cloak of Christ. We ought to adorn ourselves with Christ when we go to work. We ought to be the, the first ones that people would want to ask to do something because we are ready, willing, and able to do it. Not the whiners and the gripers and all that, which we usually are, right? So it says servants, sons, 
sisters and seniors, all of you. We all have something to do. Why all of us? Well, the last part, verses 11 through 15 are the conclusion. So he uses the word for there in verse 11. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So I ask you this question. Why senior sisters, sons, and servants do right? Why should all do right? Because all have been offered the grace of God. We all have responsibility. See, I think about this podium right here. I'm leaning on it. I'm pressing on it. I'm doing all kinds of things. Take out one leg. I'd probably fall on my face right here if I leaned on it. It might stand a little bit, but it wouldn't be stable. It wouldn't be sound, would it? If I just took off one of these legs, and I'd probably fall on my face when I forgot about it. See, we all have a responsibility. As our pastor says, we, we, should, all, we should never obey out of guilt. We should all obey out of love. All of us should deny ungodliness and live righteous in this age. If the church is going to be, have a leg to stand on, we all must do our part in making it sound. Not just elders, not just the sisters, not just the seniors, not all of us. How are you holding up your leg? Let's pray together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon. 